Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about the full moon lunar eclipse in the second decan of Taurus. I am joined here today by the wonderful Alicia Youssef. How are you doing today, Alicia? Great. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing well. This is super exciting. Uh, we, we are coming to you from opposite ends of the, of the world here today. Uh, so very, very excited to have you as a guest. You're very highly recommended by another great friend of the show, Shu Yap. And um, she's just a wonderful astrologer and very excited to have you here today. Um, we are going to go on a journey um, down the eclipse portal, I guess you could call it, <laughs> the rabbit hole of the eclipse. Yeah. Um, Alicia, before we get started, I'd like to shout out a few folks that are joining us here. Um, this is an interesting one because some of our Australian friends that, that normally can't join us are joining us here today as well. Uh, Alicia is joining us from Australia. So we've got Bonnie coming here from, I believe Bonnie is joining us from uh, the eastern part of the United States. LaRonda is here from Southern California. RC is here from Melbourne. Um, we have Dina joining us from Nyack, New York. Sienna Big is here from uh, Adelaide, uh, Australia. What is, uh, maybe you can- Adelaide. Adelaide, okay. Adelaide, yeah. Adelaide, okay, there we go. So we've got yeah. another Aussie with us today here. Uh, Dina is joining us. Carol is here today. Jody is here from Southern Florida. Shu Yap is in the in the chat here today. Intercycle Astrology stopping in. Uh, wonderful to see you, friend. Um, Jenny is joining us from Wisconsin. The Incense Junkie is here from Alberta, Canada, and Lynn is here from Vermont. So we have a, a great crew stopping in. People that are just keep keep stopping in. Laura from Vancouver and so on and so forth. So thank you so much, friends, for stopping by. Um, so Alicia. Tell, tell, for the folks that might not be familiar with your work, give us a little bit mm -hmm. of background about your journey with astrology, some of the things that you've been up to lately, and yeah, and just where you're from and, and what, you're, what you're all about. Sure, thanks. So I live on the Sunshine Coast in Australia, which is just north of Brisbane, um, so semi-tropics. Semi and I've been an astrologer since 2006, but dipped my toes in and out. Um, it was always a part-time gig until 2018 when I just went, right, that's it, I'm doing this, which came along with some of my midlife transits. So I am also a counsellor. I'm a trauma counsellor, somatic therapist. So I weave the two together. And as well, I'm a writer, a teacher, um, all those good things, astrological and uh, therapeutic as well. So yeah, um, it's it's been an interesting journey. You know, I have a Scorpio stellium, so of course I'm drawn to the depths and to those more intimate partnerships with people. So that's why I'm excited actually to talk about this lunar eclipse because it's not just about Taurus, there's a whole lot of Scorpio thrown in on it as well. I love it. I love, this is one of the things that I love doing is bringing on guests that have some personal experience with the astrology that we might be experiencing. So do you, do you know what Deccan your Scorpio stuff is in? you have any good? Mine's all in the first. All in the first. Deccan. First Deccan, okay. yeah. So yeah. cheers to you in this last eclipse. I bet that was uh, some fun <laughs> for you, right? Yes, I've actually got some stories to share and how I think about okay. how we go into this eclipse. So yeah, for sure. It's been a, uh, it's been a ride in the wave, that's for sure. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, and I have uh, the fixed signs on the angles. I'm a Leo ascendant, so I'm getting okay. a, fa a face full of eclipse as well. <laughs> so, um, okay. Uh, so uh, Alicia, where can we find your services? Do you have any classes or things coming up that you'd like to, to share with the audience before we dive into the astrology today? Yeah, sure. So I'm at aliciayusuf.com and really, you know, I, a lot of the work I do is one-on-one. -on -one. The one class I do have coming up is looking into the astrology of 2023. So that's happening on the 20th of November here in Australia, uh, 19th of November in the rest of the world. So just having a look at all the juiciness of next year with Saturn changing, moving into Pisces, Pluto moving into Aquarius, Jupiter like hop, skipping, jumping through Pisces, Aries and Taurus as well, uh, what that's going to bring. I think, yeah, I'm excited about that Jupiter and Taurus piece actually considering everything going on. So those, yeah. those of us with fixed sign placements, it's like the joy's yeah. coming, the juice is coming. <laughs> I hope so. It's been a rough couple of years for, for fixed signs and uh, the last little bit here, um, just having Uranus yeah. grinding over everything and um, with these eclipses and these nodes uh, with Scorpio and, and Taurus. A lot has been happening. Saturn Uranus squares as well. It's oh, just been yes. like, yeah, the yes. turning of the screw for sure. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Um, so check check Alicia out. Uh, and you're on Instagram as well? I am aliciayusuf.astrologer, and I'm also on Facebook. I'm rarely on there, so I don't even know what my handle is. I think it's <laughs> aliciayusuf underscore astrology. So, yeah. Nice. Um, but I'm I'm on all three platforms, so. Yeah, and YouTube as well. Awesome. Okay, and and I have a, just a little sale that's going on, friends. If you're interested, I have a Scorpio Deccans webinar that's on sale for twenty percent off, where we go over the uh, the tarot associations, the decanic associations, mythology associated with Scorpio, and you can find that on my website, spencermichaud.com. And if you are are all out there and enjoying what you're listening to today please do me a favor and hit the like button and make sure you're subscribing to the channel and to the newsletter so you can get a heads up when we have all these wonderful guests that will be joining us live. Okay, so business business taken care of. Um, we have some other folks dropping in. We've got our good friend, Janet Goodspeed, who is a really great um, talismanic jewelry maker who, who makes some planetary talisman work and some uh, tarot talismans, which is really cool. So uh, she's got a Kickstarter going on. We like supporting her as well. And then Laura is joining us from Vancouver, Washington, which is very cool. Okay, friends. So Alicia, what are mm -hmm. some of the big picture, 30,000 foot viewpoint uh, thoughts that you have on not just a Scorpio and Taurus in general, but maybe even just eclipses in general for, for those that are trying to understand what, what an eclipse might mean for us as well? Well, eclipses, actually, I don't think I can really talk to the eclipses unless I talk to the nodes. And I think that's where it's an important part. So the nodes are linked to the moon's path around the planet and the sun, you know, and how all of those uh, the planet cycle, planets turning around the sun intersects with the moons turning around the planet. So there, there isn't actually anything. They are a point in space. But when they intersect and the moon and the sun get to those points, that's when eclipses happen. Now, the nodes are linked with power in, north node, power out. 
south node and it's you can think of it like the tides you know when the tide comes in it brings a lot of force it brings a lot of pressure and it brings a lot of you know if you if you live near the ocean like I do you see what comes in with the tide and then when the tide goes out it's a sucking it's a pulling it's a drawing and it removes things as well so when it comes to the eclipses I think it's really important to know okay is it around the power in, which this one is because it's a north node eclipse, mm-hmm. and is it a, or is it around power out, which is the south node eclipse, which is the one we had back on the 25th of October. So I feel like eclipses are timings of, of where things are thrown into the air. You know, I, I know um, Sam Reynolds, astrologer Sam Reynolds, always uses the great analogy of it's like putting a knife in a toaster if you try doing <laughs> new moon or full moon rituals around this time because you just never know what you're going to get and often you might get electrocuted so it's that sense of they are times to be cautious they are times to step away and you know I love the Vedic tradition around this and the mythology around this which is the gaping more of the monster that tried to swallow the immortality potion that the gods had created and were handing out and when the monster swallowed it I think it was Krishna who used his blade to slice through the monster, but he'd already had enough mortality at that time that it stayed alive. Mm-hmm. So the North Node is that gaping more, that area that's always hungry, always wanting energy to come in. And then the tail is the South Node, that point where everything's draining out or, or pulling out. So it's that sense of, okay, which ones of these are the eclipses touching and they are times really where, you know, it's like throwing all the tiles up and wondering where the hell they're going to land. And sometimes it can be exciting and wonderful and great things come. And I've seen that happening, you know, this cycle and recent one with clients, but it can also be a time like, oh, my God, I didn't want that to go or I don't know that I wanted that to come in as well. Yeah, it's uh, definitely wild cards. And, uh, you know, Sam... Sam's like, don't, don't charge your crystals <laughs> during these period of time. It's like, uh, unless you want to like, you know, harness the power of a hungry ghost that is never satisfied or something of that nature. So I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to get your thoughts, Alicia, on, this is something I've always had some interesting meditations on. What do you think about this? Let's just review real quick where we've been. This last eclipse that we had on the new moon and it being close to K2, the south node, and kind of the paradox mm. between the newness of a supercharged new moon, but then the the receding quality of the south node. How do you reconcile those two? I think it is that sense, you know, and this is where eclipses throw that wild card in. It, it's not normal, yeah. you know, and this isn't just a south node eclipse. This is a south node eclipse in Scorpio. Right. You know, the actual, the node placements right now, the Vedic tradition sees the south node as exaltated and the north node is exaltated because the north node is connected to the material, which links so well with Taurus. And the south node is connected to removal and, and it can have a very spiritual quality, but Scorpio is about purification, detoxification, drawing out the poisons. Mm-hmm. So I think that that new moon in a way highlighted it's less about bringing things in 
and more about setting intentions around what you want to release, what you want to purge, what you want to let go of, because you can't fill a full cup. Yeah. Yeah. So the beginning, the beginning of an ending or a processing. Yeah. 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 You know, there's been some crazy stories in in the news that I've seen that were very eclipse-like. The first one was that there was a woman that was consumed by a seven-meter-long python in Indonesia, and was they found her being digested by this giant snake, which seems to speak to that K2 energy on some level. I mean, very tragic. It's I'm not making light of it, and by any means, but it's very interesting how the eclipses can can play out. Um, I also saw a a story with a two-headed snake that they were showing that was very reflective of that Mars energy in Gemini recently as well. So uh, all sorts of ways the forms can manifest, uh, you know, that type of essence. Um, So we've we've initiated this period of letting go. Uh, We've, you know, I, I look at that first decan of Scorpio as you know, it's related to the five of cups and tarot. And we have a person that was grieving a loss. Um, I think of this as ritualized mourning on some level, where we may mm. be uh, acknowledging the things that have passed out of our existence. And, but also, there's a theme, I think, with that card of finding gratitude for the two cups that are still standing rather than the three cups that are spilled. So I've been suggesting that during this period of time, maybe, uh, feeling your feelings of grief and letting go, but also then having that allow you to find gratitude to what remains in your life. Yeah. I wanted to ask you too, since you're a Scorpio stellium or you have a bunch of stuff in Scorpio, I've always had this way of describing Mars and its relationship with Aries and Scorpio. And I, and I want to ask if you have, have had this experience, just if you've lived this experience. I see Mars as, you know, we talk about it traditionally as severing and separating, right? In in Aries, it feels like it's severing uh, spirit from the collective to be able to incarnate into an individual point of consciousness into the body. Whereas I see it as sort of opposite in Scorpio, where it's severing from the body, which is an outdated form, to be able to return to the potentially to the collective consciousness with liberated spirit in Sagittarius. Have you found that in your life that you have had to go through times where you've had to leave forms behind to be able to liberate the essence that they contained? Oh, 100%. And I've got strong Aries and Scorpio placements. I'm like, so Mars, it's not funny. And I think, yeah, absolutely, that sense of, that has nine lives in a way. It's this constant death, rebirth, death, rebirth, death, rebirth experience. And even when I show people my resume, you know, of what I've done over the years, it's very eighth house, but it's been all these different incarnations. So there's been this sense of I've lived these lives and then severed, you know, so that I can do more with the collective. Like I've worked at a casino. I've worked in fundraising, you know, and now I work in um, in therapeutic environments, you know, all very eighth house, but all very different senses of what that would be. So, yeah, I don't think, you know, if that was Taurus eighth house, for example, I don't think it would have had that level of transmutation. Yeah, it's a, 
you know, there's, there's also themes I feel of um, defending the dying life force with Mars, like, like, like consolidating all your energy to be able to, uh, I don't know, rage against the dying of the light, like sort of like that poem was talking about and be having to be very um, conscientious about how you utilize that d defensive force on some level. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think so beautifully put by Cancer Sun, you know, like it's... <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> One thing I was curious about, and, you know, I've, I've mused about this with other Southern Hemisphere astrologers, but how do you... Um, how do you explain or teach or reconcile the difference between the seasons in the hemispheres uh, with the northern hemisphere, with, with the Scorpio season connected with like uh, fall and the composting season, death, and then, but maybe having a reverse experience of that in Australia, how, do you, how does that play out for you? Look at it as a polarity. You know, I, my first astrology teacher, always said, you know, for example, when the equinox happens, you know, you've got Aries, Libra. So Libra is spring here. She always said, Libra is just Aries in a pretty dress. Okay. And so for me, it kind of works, this idea that Libra season is linked to the beauty of the flowers coming forth. And, you know, it's so strong, especially where we are in the tropics. You, you meet it everywhere, the perfume. It does really feel right. And then Scorpio is those flowers dying so the fruit can come forth in you know in the further months and you know that's what Sag season's about is the the fruit growing and expanding you know ready to be plucked with the work of Capricorn so you know it, it keeps going but that's kind of how I look at it I don't think you can ever kind of separate them out they're just two ends of the bar and so they just show up in the same way but different same same but different yeah, I love that. I love the how the essence can take a, a completely different form, you know, in different areas of the world too. That's that's something we talk about a lot on this channel is the concept of essence versus essence maybe being something that is more eternal and form being the temporal changing thing that we need to learn to maybe have some more detachment and flexibility around. Um, okay, so I'm looking through the chat here. We've got some really great folks stepping in. Again, we've got uh, Haley from Utah. I think I'm saying that correctly. A's Creation is back. Welcome, friend. Um, yeah, and, and she was saying that they really enjoyed your YouTube video on grief. So um, I would love, Shu, I don't know if we can put a link to that in the chat, but I'll try to link that to this video as well. Um, because we have a lot of folks here that are have dealt with um, really deep trauma and ha having any sort of good advice, especially with someone who is trained in that, such as yourself, would be a really great resource. So I would love to see a, a link to that. Um, oh, and she was talking about Capricorn season as potentially being related to drought, which is interesting, right? Mm, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Especially, yeah, drought and bushfires, that that dryness that we have. Right. Um, okay. So how about we pull the chart up here? What do you think? And we'll get That's into some great. of the, the nitty gritty. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing your, your Scorpio experiences. I always, like I said, I love hearing uh, these personal anecdotes and stories and make it really grounding it in the, in the lives that we live. Um, yeah. Okay. So a couple details before we dive in here. 
and your your mileage slash day may vary uh, with your time zones, but in the eastern part of the United States, this full moon lunar eclipse at 16 degrees of Taurus will be on November 8th, 2022, which is a Tuesday at 6.02 a.m. Eastern Standard Time because we're going to be flipping the clocks back in America. I don't know if you do that in Australia, but it's... Um... We do everywhere but where I live, so okay. it gets a bit confusing. Okay. Standard time all the time, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a real point of contention in our household because, you know, losing the sleep or just getting out of that uh, circadian rhythm is always very disruptive. So, so make sure that it, you know if you're experiencing a time change, you give yourself some uh, some leeway, some extra grace around this period of time. Um, but we we're seeing the sun and Mercury uh, hovering around the 15th and 16th degree of Scorpio, uh, very close to the south node at 13 degrees of of Scorpio as well, with Venus also co-present with the sign. And it is being opposed by the moon and Uranus in a very tight conjunction in Taurus. So we have these these uh, many players in the in the celestial conversation here, right, Alicia? Um, tell me some thoughts you have about the the aspects, the different conversations that the planets might be having. We've got a square to Saturn and a, a retrograde Mars. Um, what kind of um, what kind of energy are you feeling from this eclipse in particular, and the the conversations that the planets might be uh, have in store for us? Yeah, there's there's a lot of threads here, aren't there? And it feels like it's going to be getting a handle on these many different threads to kind of weave this tapestry. And I feel like I usually, you know, that the full moon in chorus every year, which always happens in Scorpio season, is that real pleasurable counterbalance to the pressure, the depth and the intensity of Scorpio season. We're not seeing that this year. You know, we've got this full moon. It's conjunct Uranus, like exact to the it's what we call partile because uh, it's the same degree. And the nodes are very close. This is a total eclipse. Yeah. And interestingly, you know, the shadow of this eclipse falls everywhere but where the shadow of the Scorpio eclipse happened a couple of weeks ago. So that one was over Europe. It was over Russia and Uzbekistan and Ukraine. Whereas this one, we're seeing the shadow through the West Coast of America. I think you guys in East Coast get a little bit of it. Okay. Um, Eastern Russia, Asia, Australia and New Zealand, even India gets a little bit of this too in the Middle East. So it's very interesting. It's like the last one was this thin slice and this one is this wide slice and it's this sense of this has, it's a lot more encompassing. And I don't know, I feel like Horus is so much about being still, about being settled, about being grounded and stable. And this is inviting us to sit in the discomfort of a prickly place yeah. of you know, because we've got Venus ruling this eclipse in its detriment in Scorpio, also combust, yeah. also looking to that retrograde Mars in, in madcap Gemini. So there is this sense here of, like, things are uncomfortable, things are tricky, and I can choose to think of it as a trap or a cage, or I can choose to think of it as an opportunity to process, which is what Venus in Scorpio does so well. 
Absolutely. So those are my initial thoughts. I mean, where are you with it, Spencer? What, what are some of your thoughts on it? Well, I will have to admit, I have the moon at 15 degrees of Taurus. So <laughs> I've lived this uh, placement a little bit and I've been experiencing Uranus grinding over that moon um, for the last few months, years, etc. And that Deccan of Taurus is related to the Six of Pentacles. And in that card, we see a figure that is uh, handing out resources. There's some themes of generosity, of, uh, of you know, and Austin talks about this, Austin Kopic, a really great decanic wizard, I would say. And um, he, he and C. Susan Chang are a couple of my uh, favorite authors when it comes to that. They talk about uh, a, a rhythmic tantra in that Deccan. And the consistency of showing up for your work every day, like a ritual practice, like if you were to um, plant a garden, tend to a garden, you show up and you water it just just the right amount for that particular day, and then let nature take over the the other portion of it. And when Uranus is there, though, Uranus is saying, screw your routines, we're going to disrupt all of them. <laughs> you know, oh, you're comfortable. Yeah, you're comfortable? No, well, how about this curveball? <laughs> like, uh, so, and you know, personally, you know, I, people on this channel know, and I don't know if I've talked to, with you about it, but but my mom passed away at the last uh, eclipse around um, April. So this is connected Ooh. to that. For me, it's a very personal kind of thing since I have it over the, the 10th and 4th house aspect, uh, you know, places. And I just think there's going to be a connection with that series of events that we may have experienced back in april in particular um i i have some business that is is directly related to her death and my my grandfather actually passed away two weeks after her so it, mm -hmm. a whole part of my family line just kind of started disappearing and now there's sort of some some fallout from that and like kind of uh trying to figure out how to bring closure to that situation that i think for me personally might be we could see um so i think that i think that there's definitely uh let me see definitely some themes of potentially unexpected resources or, or unexpected ways of dealing with resources number one I, I think that there's going to be challenges around it because of the square to saturn the t-square where we may have to to do something that is in the the uh, how should I say it for the greater good rather than just for self-serving purposes, um, mm. and we also have the sun in a decan that's related to nostalgia. It's related to the six of cups uh, card where you know Susie Chang calls it the golden hour, where we may be looking back fondly on a on a relationship that is deeply enmeshed and. But I think we're letting go of that kind of codependent, deeply enmeshed relationship and feeling the there is a fruit that comes from processing that old karma or that old relationship. And I think this eclipse is kind of speaking to that, whatever the fruit of that is, right? Um, it could be wisdom, right? There could be just a realization that we come to about the ending of that relationship. I know I'm feeling that lately. I've been over the last six months. I've been processing my mother's passing and trying to figure out what the 
the fruit of that is it's there's a lot of grief but there's also a lot of realization and and healing and and um, detachment from past trauma and things of that nature as well so uh yeah that's those are my initial thoughts i really have my eye on the t-square with saturn uh and yeah. and also the fact that we have a mercury kazemi that's going to be happening shortly after the eclipse i think as well or during the eclipse how do you yeah. see mercury kazemi and scorpio what is your what are your thoughts on what we might be initiating there well, this is the yeah, that midway point, and I always see the Kazemi, the, the superior Kazemi, as that opportunity to start a new Mercury cycle. And they happen every three months. But there is this idea of, okay, what are we starting? That's around trusting our intuition. You know, it's this isn't a water sign. This is taking our, our logic, our thoughts, our the facts, but into a very felt space. So. Um, I think that, you know, that opportunity and, and this is where actually one thing I really do love about this eclipse and, and what I'm counselling people around is to really come into your body. You know, Taurus acts as that safe space, the body, to be able to sit with the intensity of Scorpio and feel the feelings as a way to process things through. And my sense is, you know, we're discovering now in the therapeutic worlds that talk therapy alone doesn't get you all the way, you know. So there are all these different theories and ideas now around, you know, like the body keeps the score, how we can oh, yeah. actually find deep healing when we listen to our body. And, and the gift of that as well is that it helps us form a better relationship with our intuition as well because our body, our soma, is a key part of our intuition. So, yes, it's about feelings and about that scorpionic space, but it's also about what we feel too, um, you know, that, that absolute feeling in the body. You know, if, if you ever think of an experience in your life where your gut has told you something, it's a felt experience. It's mm. like a churning or a shift or a... So when we have a better relationship with our body, which I think these days is so tough, like part of my hope for this eclipse, you know, this is the only eclipse really in this whole eight years that Uranus is in Taurus, that it's right on Uranus. And it feels like a sliding door moment for the collective and the personal experience of that Uranus in Taurus cycle this time around. And our world is so sped up. You know, our nervous systems are all over the place. We meet things at such speed and we're processing so much information that actually the revolutionary work, Uranus, is to sit still, is to be quiet, oh. is to be with nature. So my invitation to people is come into your body and do it at a really slow pace. Be with nature. Watch the ants crawl along the ground. Watch the bees and the flowers, especially those of us in the southern hemisphere right now who have them all around, you know. Watch the birds as they move across the sky or even the clouds, you know. Mm. We're so busy. Um, and, and I think this is a real antidote to that Mars retrograde in Gemini that's got our, you know, that Buddhist idea of the monkey mind, you know, it's it's really sped up right now. So this can actually be that throwing the stick in the wheel yeah. to, to grind things to a halt. Mm -hmm. 
I love that. As you're you're speaking uh, the love language to my Taurus moon here about you know, <laughs> going out into nature, taking your time, taking a gingerly easy pace, you know. Um, so, you know, on that note, what, what are some of your favorite um, physical exercises or things that you do to be able to release old trauma or things of that nature? Sure. I'm, I lean a lot into polyvagal techniques. So if anyone wants to research these themselves, um, Deb Dana and Stephen Porges um, are the, the, the gurus in this space, I'd say. But one of them is literally a short breath in and a long breath out. So breathe in for four, four beats, breathe out for eight. And there's a, even an addendum to this that the Navy SEALs in the UK have its two out breaths. So it's and then long in breath. Mm-hmm. And then again, and if you can do that for five to ten cycles, um, not five to ten minutes, but just five to ten, you do that five to ten times, it can really help you come into the present, into your body. That's something else Taurus is really good, is mm-hmm. being in the present moment. Scorpio can spin us off into all these different places, overanalyzing, over-researching, um, digging too much, whereas Taurus is like, you know what, it's okay if we just sit and we're just here. You know, I that's really fascinating as far as, one of the things that I've been kind of meditating on recently is that um, I have this feeling and this thought that Scorpio is actually a secretly uh, nostalgic sign. Do you, do you feel this? Like, I feel like there is definitely a past element with Scorpio. Um, whereas like trying to be like, like because of that defending of the life force and that mm. type of energy, it feels like uh, it can be easy to get fixated on a memory or fixated on something that's happened in the past or an experience and trying to uh, figure out the, the why or trying to figure out uh, how to restore balance at, you know, maybe by any means necessary on some level. Um, so how do you feel? Would you agree with that? I guess, first of all, and do you think that, what, what do you think Scorpio's way of grounding themselves in the present, if their, their feelings are, uh, if they're trying to swim through a, a, a pool of feelings? I, I do agree with you. I, I think it's different to the nostalgia of cancer okay. uh, and Capricorn as well, but it, it is almost like if there's a blockage in the system, Scorpio needs to go in to understand what that's about. So exactly as you say, past memories, past trauma. I also see it happening in future too with Scorpio. It's worrying about the possibilities of what might happen. Mm. And the Buddhist understanding is that these are what the monkey mind does. If you're in the past or you're in the future, you're in the monkey mind. Yeah. And being in the present moment is what counts. So that's where Taurus is that perfect antidote to Scorpio. However, if we're too much in Taurus, you know, and that's the antidote for Taurus is to come into the felt of Scorpio because it can be too dry, too practical, too grounded. So I think that if you feel like you're in this overwhelming space as a Scorpio or within the Scorpionic energy, the opportunity is to just come into your body and feel the emotions as a felt experience. Is my throat tight? 
Is my stomach churning? Is my chest hot? And just sit. Don't try to make sense of it. Just sit. Just breathe. Just observe, um, right? Exactly. And, and make sure you're feeling it. This is how, yeah, if, if we're in our head all the time, it's actually a defense mechanism. It's actually okay. telling us when don't want to feel the feelings. Um, so it is coming into the coming into ourselves and feeling the feelings is where it can flow through and those blockages can be released. Mm, I like that. Um, so another thought I was having and want to see your opinion on is uh, mm -hmm. let's take a look at the, the, the rulers <laughs> that we're going to be dealing with here and maybe yeah, help um, us, Alicia, break down sort of what I, I, there's a there's a there's a metaphor that I like from uh, an astrologer named Martin Hermes. Are you familiar with his work at all? No. So, so he's sort of a disciple of Robert Schmidt from Project Hindsight. Okay. Yeah. And he talks about planets in the sign being more like the, the sculptor and the more active verb, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the planet that is uh, hosting um, being the, the clay. So my question for mm. you is what kind of, what is the quality of clay that both the sun and the moon are going to be drawing upon with both venus in scorpio and mars retrograde in gemini it's flawed play i guess it's it's clay that you have to work with quite a lot i mean you know venus in its detriment in scorpio this isn't a space for pleasure you know uh, i'll give a scuba diving analogy here scorpio is the deep oceanic depths they're at pressure you know it's fun to scuba dive in the shallows where all the coral and the fish are but as soon as you start to go down deep you can't see very well things are at depth and you really have to have a buddy close by you to be safe and there is this sense as well you know venus is also combust to the sun so it's hidden you know it's working in the background here it's not obvious this venus doesn't have a lot of power in that way and venus has just escaped mars's mars's blocks or mars's uh, sorry not mars saturn's limitations mm -hmm. but moving into that trine with neptune it's yeah. almost like okay well i've, I've gotten out of the cage what do I do now? Where do I go? Sure. <laughs> it's all really confusing. So I like you said something earlier that linked really to trust. And it's almost that sense of, okay, I can see the lights up there. I'm just going to trust that that's the way to go. So I think that's how I would refer to the Venus in this space of like, we are in the depths, we are in that place. And it's important to feel where we are, but know that there is magic ahead because Venus after Neptune is going to come and try and Jupiter in Pisces too. So there is help and healing there. It is conjunct the fixed star of Shiat, which is a whole nother thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like that's that kind of clay we're working with. It might be very pluggy. It might be, it might need a few extra things added to it, like some sand. Um, so that comes there. Well, and then, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. good. Well, oh, I was going to go on to Mars, but yeah, let's well, keep going. Before we go on to Mars, uh, I was going to say that before I came on the, the show with you today, I was scrolling down Instagram and there was another astrologer that shared a video of someone 
uh, with full hazmat gas mask diving into like a, a like a um, oh geez what is like a septic tank <laughs> like you know what I mean like just completely yeah. like immersing themselves in fecal matter you know and like looking for something it looked it looked like somebody had lost something in a septic tank and I wonder if this might be sort of our experience maybe at this eclipse is we need to really have the right protection to be able to go in and find what we've lost you know in that yeah. uh pile of shit so to speak uh pardon my french but um yeah i think there's you know before we go to mars here there's you know just bringing it back to a a, a little bit of a, a decanic esoteric here so venus does have a little bit of dignity in in the third face of scorpio mm -hmm. so yeah. and you can think of the the decanic rulers as like this you know, Benati would talk about it as somebody who is in a foreign land that th through their own efforts were able to make their way, right? Yeah. Like a secret superpower. And to me, Venus, Venus in the third decan of Scorpio, it glamorizes, um, you know, I, I always think of this, I've been talking about this decan as like necromancy. I made this really like sort of macabre association with uh, the movie Psycho. Uh, last one of the last kind of talks I did where um, Norman Bates keeps his his mom in the basement like like trying to keep her alive like but through this illusion and I guess my my only thing that I would add to this is that while we're going through the depths I think it's important to make sure that we're not glamorizing the past or glamorizing the old form that needs to be released um, by you know trying to keep it alive when it really what it really wants is to be let go of i think that i've been predicting mm. that there's potentially some there is and i'm thinking about like the student loan there's a student loan kind of thing in america where people are signing up to get their student loans forgiven and there may be something like some catch where we think it's going to completely change our life in this certain way if we're released from this burden but we may be over glamorizing the the material side of letting go on some level um so staying balanced with that i think is a is important but tell me a little bit more about that the fixed star that you were referring to uh shiat yeah, or as it's 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 interesting because uh my nickname well, i'm not the only astrologer that nicknames it this but it's shit and <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> it's a place of confusion and chaos um it's linked to shipwrecks and flooding um my sense of this is it's like you know with Jupiter here it's that idea of being flooded in or lost at sea which is yeah. exactly why I recorded that video on grief because I think that that's linked to the whole you know the next few months with Jupiter in Pisces I myself lost my father uh, and my father passed in April as well oh, wow, so sorry. I've had my own grief experience yeah I was thinking of you too yeah. um but yeah it can be this very flooding um, experience in when the tidal waves of grief kind of crash over us. There's nothing you yeah. can do. You're kind of yeah. in place. I mean, where I live here, we get a lot of flooding regularly. And we know that when you're flooded, you can't do anything. You just yeah. sit, you know, you just do, do the best that you can. And it's actually quite nice periods because 
you don't have to be anywhere. It's it's an yeah. opportunity to just be. Um, so that's my sense with this of like, okay, well, how can we just be with things, um, that opportunity there? And you talk to Venus's dignity. Remember in a night chart as well, Venus is a triplicity ruler in yes, Scorpio. Yes, okay. So, so, for example, here where this is for you, mm-hmm. it's a night chart. You know, for, for those of us experiencing the eclipse, as a night thing, then yes, we'll, you know, and we are here where I am too, because it's happening in Brisbane at 9.02 p.m. And in Sydney, it'll be 10.02 p.m. Well, yeah, the rest of the East Coast, 10.02 p.m. So we will be experiencing that triplicity dignity that Venus offers. And I think of it like the teacher, you know, sorry, the principal, um, you know, Mars is the teacher here because it has rulership, but Venus is the principal in this triplicity. So it kind of gets to tell, you know, it, Venus is in its own kind of space here of it's like it's at a school where the same values align in that way. Yeah. So, Well, and doesn't triplicity have also some associations with communal support or like being around your your guild members or something of that nature? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and this is Venus. It's like, who can we call close to us yes. to help? So we don't have to go through the grieving process alone is what I'm hearing with this, right? No. Okay. Because Venus and Scorpio, who's in your circle of trust? Well, isn't it interesting that you and I are here together tonight, both l- losing a parent at the last eclipse mm. as well. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I'm, 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 yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. And I, you know, I, I was thinking about this today as I don't know if you had a Venus South Node experience today, but as we're recording this, the Venus was passing over the South Node, and I had I had a rough morning. I was like at my altar doing the normal like planetary prayers that I do, and I I had a wash of memory of of my mom, and I, I actually I cried this morning, like you know, kind of thinking about it, and um, it's just interesting how like you were talking about one day at a time. Like some days you're 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 good and then other days you just get this flood of like emotions and i think that's you know that feels like a very a fairly normal thing that happens during grief i'm i'm assuming um is that it's not linear right no yeah no not at all and it's not you know, I know Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and her work, they had talked about the stages of grief and everyone was like, okay, you do this when you do this, not, you know, and, and she herself said that. She never wanted them to be seen as that. And there's six stages now being added as well, but it's not like you'll do one and then the other and it'll be this, like, a, the way our, I don't know, our, our very scientific, our very logical society thinks. It's like, okay, if I do X, Y, Z, I'll be out of it. But it's not like that. And yeah. I think, you know, I recently had my solar return and that was my first solar return without my father. And, look, the reality is my father had been battling with dementia for four years and yeah. he'd had a fall and he was never going to live a life of quality any longer. And it's my belief that he chose when he went and yeah. the eclipses were playing into his chart a lot. So it was very interesting. And, you know, my heart goes out to you with your mum as well because it has been a time of... I think so much about our own release as as well as the other person. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm thinking of you and, and I'm glad to hear that you're able to be with that, to be with the emotions and be with the tears because it's such an important part of it. And grief 
by tradition is a communal experience. It's meant to be. And I think this is where our individualistic society can harm that or hurt that. No, you're you're absolutely right. And, you know, a, a similar situation with my mom. She had a she had a stroke uh, probably about mm. three and a half years ago. So her quality of life had severely declined as well. So, you know, I do also feel that liberatory quality. Um, and I don't know if you've had experience with, so if you've got us eighth house Scorpio stuff, um, have, I've, I've had other people that have had some mediumship abilities um, to be able to speak with the dead. As, and I know that that may be a little bit out there, but is this something that you have had any experience with? Have you had the ability to, to have some of those messages or, or feel that presence? I wouldn't say the dead. Uh, what I get senses of is loss and, and grief or anxiety and fears and worries. So I can sense when somebody's in a space and they need help. I mean, my friends used to joke you know, when I was in my teens and early 20s, don't have a DNM with Alicia because she really <laughs> means it, you know. So it was like that sense of I could hone in on, on who was suffering loss. And yeah. I can feel energies, but no, I'm not I'm not a medium in that way. Um, I wish I was, you know, yeah. I think it would be kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, it's it turns up in different ways for me. Yeah, I, I, I did have an interesting experience with my daughter who has a, an exalted Venus in the eighth house who channeled some, some messages from my mom uh, really shortly after she passed and was able to tell me some things that only my mom would know. And it was, it was quite eerie. um, But also it was very reassuring, I I would say. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I've just, I've I've always had a curiosity about eighth house placements and that ability to, to feel what others are feeling and have that kind of uh, inner knowing and the relationship potentially with maybe a, a slightly different dimension, I guess. Um, and that was, not, and I'll say, it was not something that I had experienced ever in the past. And it didn't last very long. It only lasted for a, a day or two after she had passed and then whatever that presence had moved on. Um, so yeah. people can do with that what they will. Uh, you know, there's, there's various level of skepticism as far as what happens when we, when we pass on. And, and I am by no means any expert on that, uh, having not actually experienced it yet. Uh, so I don't know. So Alicia, let's talk a little bit about this Mars here that we have. Um, and, and before, before I, sorry, I'm skipping around Mars in, in very Mars Gemini. Gemini. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I guess before we move on to that, on that same theme, this mm-hmm. particular eclipse is very close to the uh, the degrees that were no- normally associated with the cross holiday Samhain. Um, do you do you mm. have any experience with Samhain and Samhain rituals or or anything with that um, that holiday? I I don't. I was actually just messaging with Michael J. Morris recently because they put up a brilliant post about it. Um, yeah. So no, Samhain's not something I'm I'm linked into. Um, the traditions I follow are a little bit different, but yeah, um, that that would be someone I would point people towards if if they're interested. What about you? Do you know much about it? Uh, you know, I'm 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 not super familiar, but my understanding is that it's an it's a time for 
um, honoring th those that have passed and honoring ancestors mm -hmm. where the where they consider the veil to be thinnest between between the worlds and this seems like a good opportunity to be able to you know honor your ancestors if you do ancestral work or if you do uh, ritualized practice with your ancestors. I think this this could be a very powerful thing to do that. Like, you don't have to like charge your crystals or something like that. But I do think it is being able to ritualize our grief is very important. And to be able to have that sense of closure with our friends and our family is something that I think we can, this would be a very powerful time for that, I think, uh, in particular. Um, Alicia, we have some perfect encapsulation of the Scorpio Taurus energy, isn't it? You know, the, the, the grief of the feelings of Scorpio and the rituals, the, the bringing it into the present, into the material of Taurus. Mm, yes. Grounding it, right? Grounding mm, it. Yeah. Um, we've got a really nice comment from Janet here that I wanted to read. Janet Goodspeed says, an old friend of mine passed away this morning. He had terminal cancer, so it was expected, but so deeply sad taken too soon mm. only 39 sending love to everyone out there who is grieving and to the topic at hand i dreamt of him two nights ago and he didn't have cancer and was perfectly fine it's a balm mm. in a way yeah i i dreams i i often have people that come to me in dreams as well are, are you a dream worker there alicia no uh, no yeah i, I know no I, I wouldn't say i'm experienced in that space yeah there's it's there's those liminal spaces are really interesting um maybe it's because mm. i'm a 12th house son i don't know if that you know being in between spaces is something that is somewhat familiar to me uh almost being being grounded in reality is what feels alien sometimes um but yeah let's so i'm sorry to hear that janet i wanted to just send you some love and some uh hopefully some healing and and some ability to to weather that storm as well so I know that during this period of time, uh, we're able to feel those feelings very intensely. Uh, so Alicia, let's talk a little bit about Mars retrograde in Gemini, because this is one of the biggest uh, aspects for the rest of the year. How are you? How have you been experiencing that? What have you been telling clients and students in, uh, in regards to Mars retrograde in Gemini this year? I think, you know, Mars retrograde in Gemini, look... It's interesting, especially unfolding this in this eclipse, because it still hasn't left its stationary degree. You know, it, it's still literally still. Um, I think the idea with this is knowing that this is a period of time to take the foot off the gas, to know that what you want to put in place may not be able to happen as quickly and as easily as you hope. You know, if we link Mars to our assertion and our willpower. And it's there in the thinking sign of Gemini. It might be actually needing to gather the facts now, especially from when it entered its shadow around about the 8th of September. There may have been a theme playing out around assertion, willpower, confidence, just general energy, that now it's entering its retrograde phase. You're getting a sense of, oh, okay, you know, this is the part. I, I, I refer to retrogrades like this is a three-act play. You've got that first period from 8th of September till 30th of October where you get a sense of, okay, there's this is this is an issue coming up. I don't really know what to do about it. And then the second act, the retrograde period, is where you can research, you can discover, you can look for how to 
solve the issue, solve the problem. And then once it goes direct again from the 11th, 12th of January is when you can start acting upon it. When you, So it's almost the hero's journey in a way where the hero comes along, meets a problem, kind of goes down underneath to solve it and comes back out the other side. And I think the fact that this is so tightly tied into this eclipse makes it really interesting. It, it just feels like such a sliding doors moment in time. And, you know, it's there, it's square Neptune as well, which is doing really until the 20th of November. Yeah. yeah which point. just makes it even more discombobulated and even less energy as well. So I think it is really giving ourselves permission to, think before we leap or to, to, to dwell and vision actually what our, what our solutions can be. I don't think they're going to be as obvious straight away. And I think like you were just saying, and, and Janet, I'm sending my warmth and my, you know, love to you too for what you're going through. And actually the dreams can be what helps heal us or what helps mm. gives us the, the solutions, you know, they're those gems that are embedded in that place. So, yeah, yeah I think, and, and being, beware of the monkey mind. I think this is where the, the wheels can be spinning so much right now, those mental cogs, um, but they're slipping. You know, this is a retrograde Mars. They're trying to mesh and then they slip and then they try to mesh and they slip. So just not expecting yourself really to be able to do all the things right now as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I, people who regularly listen to this channel here know that I sort of have a slightly irrational dislike of Neptune. <laughs> you know, I think that there's there's some silver linings in it, but I have I have a Virgo stellium, and since Nep maybe it's because Neptune has been in Pisces, grinding in the opposition to my Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars for the last however many years now, but I just feel a real lack of energy when I have a contact mm. with Neptune. It just feels like I just want to melt into a puddle on the floor, you know? And the lethargy is insane with it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is. It is crazy. And I, you know, the, the animal that we got for the uh, new moon eclipse was so Mars Neptune. Somebody pointed this out to me. It was it was the narwhal. It was the this like <laughs> unicorn of the sea. <laughs> you know, so. I love it. I love it. So just some, you know, things erupting from the depths. I think that for me, when Neptune touches a planet like Mars, it it dissolves its will. You know, it says, oh, you want to move forward uh, directly? Um, and of course, Mars and Gemini isn't going to move forward in a straight line anyway, but it could be even more like, you know, watered down and dispersed. And I think of it as like steam when those two are coming together and just like, oh, I, I'm trying to contain my my energy but it's being dispersed throughout the sauna of life on some level right yeah completely and and i think that the mentalness like even uranus in here in taurus conjunct this eclipse and and then adding this mars square neptune it's just like we actually have to find ways to soothe our nervous system to soothe our mind you know whether this looks like meditation i think um the analogy I, I, that just came to me is the movie The Last Samurai mm -hmm. with Tom Cruise in it, you know, where he goes in as a, 
I think a USGI and ends up learning the, the ancient martial arts and realizing that, you know, it's not all about war and about thrust. It's actually about compassion and, and the art of war and understanding that actually it's not about trying to create war, but trying to avoid it. And I think that's where this is sitting. It's like, okay, well, I could assert myself into the situation and really push my way in here, but yeah. are there other alternatives? And if I sit and I'm with peace here, it might present itself. I love that. I love everything about that. And when I wanted to highlight and reaffirm, I think, another point that you made about not feeling like you have to get everything figured out by the end of the year, right? I think a lot of times we, especially in like capitalism, capitalistic societies, we feel like we have to be producing and doing something and completing something all the time. And I think just the very fact if we allow ourselves and give ourselves permission to just sit in some ambiguity for a period of time, yeah that can be that that alone can give us a much uh less feeling of anxiety than if we're trying to push through against the current when mars is is asking us to review something correct absolutely and i think for me you know described all the mars i have in my chart earlier some of the greatest healing i had was when i started doing research and, and reading books about rest and yeah. there's some great books out there. there's one literally called rest by uh, silicon valley entrepreneur suit pat chung i think i'll have to i'll have to get that um and it's literally called you know when you when you do less you're more productive um and he describes literally through all these different historical figures and their lives how rest helped them like Charles Darwin wrote on origin of the species by working four hours a day but he had to take the long country walks that he did every afternoon so the ideas dropped in the mm. thoughts dropped in to be able to process the thoughts um our western society now there's another book called quiet by Susan Cain which is also about the power of the introvert and oh, the power of being nice. quiet which is also really good so I love that. There are plenty of resources we can turn to in this time. So, uh, Alicia, people are asking about your grief video. Was that called Jupiter and the Tides b back into Pisces mm -hmm. and shifting the tides of grief? Is that correct? Is that the video? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put paste a link to that in the chat well, so that folks can. There you go. So, um, so people, you can check out that video and the resources that Alicia is going to be pointing you towards um, with it. So we haven't even really, like, touched on what um what jupiter is going to be doing in the conversation here any any insights that jupiter may be helping us providing us with uh it's it's backtracking into pisces here i feel like it's it's amplifying what is going on you know it, it's i think you put it beautifully earlier that this year has been a forward back forward back forward back in many ways and we've seen jupiter this is the third time jupiter's come back in pisces mm -hmm. so it's this sense we're getting the final piece of the joy the mysticism and also the grief and the longing that jupiter in pisces has been about 
you know, I remember late last year when all of us astrologers were like, yes, Jupiter in Pisces, it's going to be amazing. And it ended up being this quagmire in many ways. I, I can't tell you how many clients I've had coming to me in grief this year around either, you know, through death, through loss of a relationship, through or friendships, or just a general longing for the life they used to have pre-COVID. Yeah. And it has been a healing balm for that. And maybe that is what it's bringing into this eclipse is like, you know, we're past the Saturn Uranus squares. I think this is the final twist of the screw here, this final, you know, I felt like the Saturn Uranus squares and I know those with fixed signs have felt like being in this situation of a vice and it's like pressure from here, pressure from here. Do I change? Do I stop? Am I authentic or am I responsible? Which way do I go? And so this eclipse now is like you've done the work, the pressure's still there, but you can see what's possible with what you created in that space. It's like the diamonds that are now starting to show from the coal that has been pressured. So mm, that's like my that. sense of it as well. There's so many retrograde planets or, or endings of patterns with this eclipse. So it's like, okay, the material is there, but we're going to have to, I don't know, I, I got the, the image I had was of a, of a, you know, the Uranus in Taurus has been, I know a number of people have talked about this, like a cattle prod to a bull, but with Saturn there, it's been like the gate, that the bull is in has been the pen the bull is in is shut. But now it's like, okay, if we open that gate and we prod the bull one last time, where's it going to go? What are the possibilities? Which way is it going to run? Mm. Us being the bulls, of course, in whatever area of our chart Taurus lies, right. what change are you going to embrace in this way? But it's change that has been forged in the cautious temperance and the stoic spaces that Saturn inhabits it's like okay you can change but check change check and now I, I feel like I can really embody this change yeah and that's a good point about you know forging something beautiful uh through pressure and also the realization that these aspects aren't happening in a vacuum, you know, they're not, they, they aren't happening just overnight, especially with Saturn and Uranus. Like we've been experiencing this for many, many months and, you know, having the, the, the repeat of the themes with both of those planets retrograding and hitting in different positions. Um, how, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for Saturn to leave Aquarius anytime here. <laughs> like, uh, as a fixed rising, it's been like, okay, I, yes, that's great. <laughs> I'm over that now. Um, but uh, Although Pluto is on its way in, but anyway, uh, that's next year. <laughs> don't remind me. Yeah, we'll deal with the Pluto seventh house. Uh, <laughs> mm. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, what gifts, what lovely gifts the Lord of the underworld will, will bring to uh, mm. an angular house for us fixed signs. But um, yeah, I guess. So, so b before we even move on with that, do you have any like super cursory short thoughts about what we might experience with Saturn and Pisces? What, what have you started like, what is starting to churn in your mind about that? 
Um, I actually wrote an article about it. There's a wonderful magazine here in Australia called Wellbeing Astrology. Um, You can get it online. You can download it if you are anywhere else in the world. But I wrote an article about it. And my sense is that it's so funny. It's making the intangible tangible Mm. and or it's inviting us into areas of practical magic. Um, I see Saturn as this beautiful cup you know, that the material cup that we can pour the magical waters of Pisces into. So Mm -hmm. to give it form, to give it grounding, to give it anchoring. That's the nice way (laughs) of it anyway. I I do think it's going to challenge us around our dreams and our visions, um, of course. But, yeah, that's kind of a a short answer to it. One thought I had was I feel like it's going to concretize the imagination as far as like the virtual reality spaces where that might become an issue where people are escaping off into uh, those like oracular glasses. And I've been watching a show on TV. I think it's called the, the peripheral or I, I don't know. <gasps> How good is it? Oh yeah, my it's, gosh. It's good. <laughs> William Gibson's one of my favorite yeah. sci-fi writers. So yeah. It's, it's also things. scary though, isn't it? That, that w- yeah. we may be entering this, this kind of space where, we we because of like things like global pandemics we're urged where we have this urge to connect in these ways that we might not be able to physically due to whatever circumstances and what are the ethics involved in like going off into these virtual spaces and it it the, the mind is led to wander with that so i'm i'm sure we'll have plenty of time to pack uh, unpack um saturn and pisces but I thought it would be nice yeah. to dip our little pinky toe into that uh, just to see yeah. what might be coming. Okay. So, yes, yeah, so, uh, Sienna, well, Wellbeing Magazine is what um, Alicia is referring to here, uh, which is, yeah, a lot of great con- contributors to that magazine. I've, I've seen mm. various articles here and there. Um, I believe, didn't you have one something in that at yes. some point? Yeah. And um, so it's it's edited by Cassandra Tyndall. Oh, nice. um, I'm just trying to think who's written in it this year. I know Kelly Surtees definitely has. Um, I've got my copy. I can see it over there. Nice. Um, yeah, but it, it's a great, you know, there's lots of this Eastern astrology, uh, Chinese astrology, Feng Shui, different things in there. Um, so, yeah. Alicia, were, think... you, were you at UAC 2018? I'm, I'm trying to remember if I... I wasn't. You weren't? No, okay. no, no. I have never been to an international astrology conference. So it's something definitely on the list. I was supposed to come to ESA uh-huh. um, 2020, uh, but of course, yeah. COVID threw the spanner in the works there. Because I, I, I got to meet Cassandra at, and Kelly mm. at UAC, and I was like, I... I I would have remembered you. We, we, I would have met you and yeah. we would have had a good talk if we had met it. Yeah. At but I had some nice chats with Cassandra Tyndall in the lobby of the, the Chicago Marriott talking about Metallica, her favorite band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. She's a big fan. So we, we yes. bonded over heavy metal, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, so, Okay, so Alicia, we're we're kind of rounding the bend to the the final stretch here. Uh, so one other thing I didn't touch on real quickly is we we do have, and this is just more esoterica, but the Sun and Mercury are going to be fairly close to a fixed star called Zubin El Janubi. Do you have any experience with this fixed star? I don't actually. No, 
So, so Zubin al-Janubi is one of the pans of Libra, or in a more ancient way, is one of the claws of Scorpio. So Zubin al-Janubi is actually the southern pan, which they called, the Arabic astrologers called it insufficient price. You had sufficient price, like being well compensated for what you do, and then insufficient price. So there is some literature about maybe if we are to receive something physical from this eclipse, maybe it isn't exactly as bountiful as we expected, which I would could see Venus probably also speaking to being in its exile. And also there is a quality to Bernadette Brady is another um, fixed star astrologer that I've, I read some material on. And she talks about this fixed star being related to volunteerism, where uh, we, we might not be properly compensated for what we're doing, but, but there's good work to be done uh, that is mm. altruistic. So I feel like there may be an altruistic element with this eclipse where we may be required to do something where we may not get the credit or the resources that we deserve, but it's going to assist us in letting go of the old narrative and becoming present as we've been talking about. Mm. Okay. All right. And that would be a good use of that Saturn in Aquarius as well, you know, making the benefits of that. Totally. Like being able to rise above that in that 30,000 foot viewpoint and seeing how everything ties together and doing what's good for the the good of the whole. Mm. Okay. Uh, Alicia, let's just briefly touch what I, what I'd like to do for my audience right here for just a second is let's take us just very briefly through the, um, the, the last quarter moon and maybe some Mm -hmm. themes we may be dealing with, with that. Uh, here we see the square. I don't know why it didn't take me all the way to it, but uh, he, neither here nor there. We're going to have the moon squaring uh, the sun from Leo and Scorpio. How do you see a, a last quarter moon and that moon phase and what we might be experiencing? What challenges we might experience with a Leo moon in Scorpio season? Yeah, I always think you know, as a Scorpio and and with Leo friends, there's always that tension between, you know, both Leo and Scorpio love drama. It's one Mm. thing both are drawn to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but Scorpio is the hidden drama. You know, it loves to kind of be the puppeteer, you know, pulling the strings from behind, whereas Leo's like, let's let's get it out here, let's get it bold, let's get it in there. And I think, you know, this is that analogy. The scorpion doesn't like the sun. It wants to hide in the shadows. And the the sun, you know, the moon there and the sun sign, it's it's this tension between do I want to be out there or do I want to be hidden? And I feel like as a last quarter moon there in Leo and it's interesting, you know, because Mercury is still very close to the sun and moon at that period of time as well. It's this sense of, Am I choosing head or am I choosing heart in this situation? And is my head trapped in the shadows? You know, am I over worrying, overthinking, over analyzing, or can I just go with my heart? And you know, last quarter moons are all about, of course, release and letting go. And you know, I think this is a lot about those lessons that the eclipse season's been teaching us of okay, where am I going to finally go forward from here in a way that is authentic and true to me um, and kind of leaves the, leaves the intensity and the fearfulness of that Scorpio side of things away? Um, yeah, that would be my take on it. 
I love that word authenticity for Leo that as a Leo mm. rising that that really resonates. And I, I, I would, I guess I would add to your wonderful thoughts that um, I feel like this last quarter moon might be about how do we after we've gone through the purge, right, the, the, the letting go process, who are we? How do we identify? Uh, what, what is our uh, sense of self now that we have lost the merged, maybe the merged, the deeply merged relationship that has come to f the fore? We've grieved and now how do we, what role are we going to play and, and how are we going to identify as someone without the thing that we have lost, you know? Um, and moving forward in that regard. Uh, I, I, the, the other thing I always see with Scorpio and Leo, being a Leo rising, I've had some Scorpio rising friends, and this isn't true for my Scorpio sun friends, so uh, present company excluded. I get along very well with my Scorpio sun friends. But my Scorpio rising friends, <laughs> I've had some experience where uh, if there is a conflict, the, the Leo person has... Uh, will never grovel they they will not get on their knees to like say i'm sorry they will apologize and then they will say all right it's over and the scorpio person is like well i want to completely eviscerate and debowel you <laughs> like and then and then those two energies seem to be um not necessarily complementary <laughs> that can lead to some really like you said dramatic uh challenges um so maybe there might be some issues with uh, dignity and pride versus, you know, going mm -hmm. for the entire, um, the entire purge, right? On some level, does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it, it does. Yeah, it's, and I think actually that's something that I have a Scorpio rising daughter, okay. um, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> we've actually just been through a whole drama that's about that. She wanted mm -hmm. her friends to totally apologize for something and right. didn't understand her part in it but yeah it, it yeah. but you know we were able to bring it back to okay well what's dignified for you and what's dignified for other people do you want to cause shame to other people or not yes. and scorpio yes. rising is kind of like oh yeah you know that their yeah. scorpio is familiar with shame yeah. um sadly so yeah yeah so if you're a scorpio rising and you've got some leo people that are so there is a leo-esque conflict and you have a scorpionic issue i think that my advice as a leo rising perspective is allow the leo person in your life to save a little bit of face because that will allow them to like lick their wounds and come back uh and not freeze you out later <laughs> just speaking from personal experience that that's the worst thing you can do to your Leo friends is not allow them to like save any face um, because th that's one of the most painful things I think in the world. Although sometimes we deserve it. So I, I you know, <laughs> like, so, right? So. There's a, there's a cartoon here called Bluey for kids. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's, it's great television. Um, and there's one scene where the mother says to the older sister, they're, they're blue peeler dogs. The mother says to the older sister, do you want to have friends or do you want to be right? Right. I think that encapsulates that situation perfectly because yes. Scorpio is like justice and it has to be right. Yes. And whereas Leo's like, yeah, but you know, what about my dignity? <laughs> right. What about my sense of self? Exactly. Oh, dignity is a great word too. De definitely is something very important to your to your Leonine friends. 
Okay. And then just, just very, very briefly here, uh, this is going to resolve itself with a new moon in, in Sagittarius. We'll do another live stream or I will do another live stream with another guest. Um, and we're going to have Jupiter turning direct on this, uh, this new Yay. moon. I'm actually really excited about this, this moon after all the challenges of the last experience there. I'm a little nervous about the full moon after that with like four planets out of bounds and the moon <laughs> conjoining Mars. Mars, I know. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but it uh, feels like a fresh, a breath of fresh air, doesn't it? This, this new moon, you know, it's got Jupiter and Pisces ruling yeah. it. Um, yeah. It's, and, and, you know, Venus and um, Mercury. I don't know. It just feels like a okay, we're coming out of the deep water now. We're up yes. to the light. We can take a lot more breath here. There's the pretty fish, there's the coral, there's mm. play and fun. So, yeah. Yeah, so 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 hang in there until the end of the month here. And then I think there's going to be a little bit, like we're saying, like there may be some relief in sight from all this, this heaviness, right? Yeah, for okay. sure. And Mars is no longer ruling everything, you know, because it's all out of Scorpio now. So... Yeah, it'll be involved in that full moon, but it, it doesn't have rulership anymore. Absolutely. Okay, Alicia, uh, as we do on this show, we just we wrap up with a with an animal symbol and an cool. I Ching reading. Do you have like five more minutes to for us to Absolutely. wrap up? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Love to see it. All right. So the animal that we got for this lunation, I always ask, what is the essence of the uh, the lunation? And I got the cockatiel. Do you have cockatiels where you live? We do. Do you? Um, tell me about your experience of the cockatiels. How do, how do they work? Are they, are they wild and native to your area? I don't think. I don't know. But we, I used to have them as pets when we were children. And mm. um, it's just Mars and Gemini. Like yeah, you just, totally. they just <laughs> shatter, shatter, shatter. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It was, it was the most Mars and Gemini, maybe retrograde or whatever uh, symbol that I think that we could get. Like, so they're flock animals, right? They, they thrive on social interaction. They'll actually rip their, their feathers out if they don't have a, a, a mm. you know, partner or, or somebody that they will keep them company. So loyalty, devotion, um, they are easily bored, which is another maybe Mars and Gemini signification. So I, I think that this is also about, they also have very sharp beaks that they need to, that you need to monitor if you have them as pets, you need to maybe give them something so that they can naturally grind it down and their claws get really sharp. So I think it's, this is another warning to really watch your communication and your words. And uh, one of the challenges that I think a lot of astrologers have been talking about is, uh, something that could start off as maybe a, a joke, like maybe like in, in America and in the Midwest, we have something called busting your chops. I don't know if this is an Australian mm -hmm. thing as yeah. well, but be very careful about chop busting uh, around this period of time because it can easily get out of hand. Um, something that starts in jest could turn into something that could be really, really damaging. Um, so I think watch your words, try to, to uh, feel... Uh, think twice. I think, I think this is a good, good uh, water sign advice to all you air signs out there or air placements is I, when I'm trying to communicate, it's always coming through three layers of emotional water. <laughs> so it takes a while to get to the surface. Uh, and maybe that's a good, uh, a good way to be at this point is maybe think about the impact that your words might have on, on others. Um, how have you been counseling folks as far as how to communicate during these times? 
Yeah, it's exactly the same. You know, it, it, it definitely has a sharp wit for sure, Mars in Gemini, but it can be where those, I don't know, you know, that show Jackass, you know, where those those pranks go totally wrong oh. um, and, and people can get injured. I also think um, with that Neptune piece in there too, your words may come across in a way that was totally unintended. You know, there is that nebulousness and that miscommunication. So trying to be as clear and concise as possible with your words too. So, you know, rethinking, re-editing, you know, um, and even doing it in the face-to-face medium because something we didn't get a chance to open up but is there's the mutual reception especially for this eclipse between Mercury and Scorpio and Mars in Gemini. And look, neither of them are in great condition. They can't see each other. They're in a version. So it's almost like the blind leading the blind. Um, so it might be this sense of, okay, well, how can I think things through exactly as you said and, and try to link head and heart as I'm doing it as well. Absolutely. Um, and someone is saying in the chat that cockatiels are native to Australia. So that's kind of neat that we pulled an Australian native animal for our beautiful uh, Australian guests today. Um, and Sienna is a, a friend is this uh, in defense of Scorpio risings, <laughs> saying that they think that Scorpio comes from a good place and that we believe that going through the ego death is a liberation. And I agree with that statement, Sienna. So uh, this is not by no means dragging uh, Scorpio risings. I have a lot of good friends that are Scorpio risings. I just we're talking archetypally about maybe some of the clashes that you may have if you have some Leo Leo friends in your life. Um, okay, so the final thing I have for all of you today is an I Ching reading. And I always ask again what what the essence of this lunation is. And the I Ching is I found to be a very it's a very blunt teacher. It really gets to the core of the issue and it doesn't pull any punches. And the, the hexagram that I got was number 18 with one changing line to hexagram 46. And 18 is a hexagram that, that translates to remedying, working on what was spoiled, decay and repair, restoration. There's a story in the I Ching about a bowl full of like, I don't know, food that has started to become maggoty. And like, what do we do to eliminate the corruption that, that has, has begun to infiltrate something that once maybe brought us nourishment, which feels like a very scorpionic theme to me, right? Um, so line number six says, he does not serve kings and princes. He seeks higher goals. So the I Ching can also be a little bit cryptic about how they're describing things this to me is really about transcending some of the mundane details that may come up in this eclipse where we have in America, we're going through an election, which is always stressful. And there's always a lot of noise that comes. And I think what this is saying maybe in relationship to that is yes, there is a lot of details people are upset about and are arguing about, but maybe we can rise above it and find some universal goals that we can work on uh, that we can cultivate in our own character, um, rising above some of the, the noise and the, the conflict. And that's what I've been trying to do. I'm, I'm going out and voting. Mm. I'm, I'm doing my civic duty, but I'm also trying to uh, be judicious about what I bring into my 
sphere as well. Does that make sense? Mm, absolutely. As a spiritual teacher of mine said recently, learn to look beyond the apocalypse. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's great advice. So um, that seems to be what the, the changing line is talking about, withdrawing from ego clashes to maintain your integrity and focusing on those, those higher spiritual goals, potentially. Now, number 46 is called ascending, pushing upwards, rising and climbing, persistence and devotion. And here's the Taurus part, progressing step by step, making steady progress, the accumulation of small advantages over time, which feels very mm -hmm. Taurus, right? Where we're kind of showing up to water the garden each day, where we're weeding, you know, uh, getting rid of the things that threaten the beauty of the garden. Uh, we're fertilizing when it's necessary. But again, I, I would highly recommend that for Taurus folks, you do only that which is necessary for the present moment, as you've been so eloquently saying today. Um, you don't have to overwater. You don't have to fuss over it. You just do your duty and then relax and then enjoy and then appreciate, right? Have gratitude. And then you show up the next day. That's the key, though. You can't just do it once. You, sh you consistently show up and have gratitude and do what is necessary to nurture something to its full fruition, right? Yeah. Okay. Alicia, I think we did it. This was wonderful. We did it. <laughs> it was it was wonderful it was a great back and forth thanks spencer and I, I wasn't able to see the chat so i wasn't able to to talk to people so i'm not sure why so i'm sorry that i wasn't able to kind of reply but thank you to everyone who was on it was wonderful to kind of get your comments and everything yeah we, well we have some really nice comments just giving giving you compliments and are appreciating your work and the comments that you've been making um, yeah, we, we have a really nice community here. There's, there's more Aussies here than we normally have, or they're able to attend today uh, with the time that we chose, which is great. Um, so yes, and I, and I did put, for those of you who are curious, I put a link to Alicia's um, video on Jupiter and grief in the chat. So you can find that in the chat. I would highly recommend um, engaging more with her work because I just really like your energy, Alicia. You have a, a nice calming Thanks, presence Alicia. to you, you know, and I, I love that. That's what we try to cultivate here. And um, just thank you for making it a comfortable, safe space for everyone today. Same back to you. It's, it's been a real pleasure to be here and, and to just share these deeper, more soulful conversations. Yeah. So Alicia, one more time, tell us where we can find you and your services and how we can support your work. Sure. Well, my YouTube channel, as people will see there, and that's where I tend to put a blend of astrology and therapy. Um, but for more pure astrology, go to my Instagram, uh, aliciayusuf.astrologer, or Facebook. I think it's Alicia Yusuf underscore astrology. Of course, to my website, just aliciayusuf.com for different courses, uh, consults, and ways to connect with me. So from the end of this year, I'm actually not taking any more new astrology clients for a while I'm focusing more on therapy so if people would like to get on my roster of clients um, now would be the time to jump in awesome okay and friends if you want to support what we're doing here on the channel the, the easiest thing you can do is hit the like button please subscribe if you're new to the channel uh, subscribe to the newsletter if you'd like to make a material donation to the work that I do here there is a little dollar in the sign in the chat called a super chat or a super sticker or you can donate after the fact at buy me a coffee Com. I am so grateful for all of you here that have joined us today. I'm grateful for you, Alicia. 
um, we are going to wrap this up. Remember just to breathe, like you were saying in the beginning of the show, like, like pay attention to the breath, stay in the moment. And as we like to say on this channel, it's very important to uh, be kind to one another through all this. And most of all, please, please, please also be kind to yourself. That can be a great uh, reminder not to beat yourself up over these, uh, you know, kind of challenges that we may be experiencing. So that is what I have for all of you today. Thank you so much, Alicia. Um, we will see you all the next time, friends. Take care. Bye. Thanks.